Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio. Today, we're excited to welcome physician and scientist and children's book author, Dr. Bruce F. Scharschmidt. And I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, he's joining because he's smart. <laughs> he's joining us on the show to discuss his really cute new picture book. It's called Tina, the First Tooth Fairy. And it comes out on Earth Day. And there's a reason why there's a Tooth Fairy and Earth Day put together. And he's going to explain this. But I encourage you to go to his website. It's brucescharschmidt.com. And that's S-C-H-A-R. And then Schmidt, S-C-H, excuse me, M-I-D-T. So go to his website. He's got other books on there, too. But um, this is such a cute book. Um, and it's also, it's inspiring. And it puts a little bit of magic into life. So welcome to the show, doctor. How are you? I'm good, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. By the way, you pronounced it perfectly. Oh, wow. <laughs> much better yeah. than most people do. Uh, um, you know, we're just starting to dry out here in San Francisco after a, a month of your biblical rains that have pounded the California coast. You know, I also thought I would mention that I'm a big believer in the comment on the Big Blend mission statement oh. to the effect that education is our most important asset to achieving acceptance and understanding, and that it begins at home. And that's it. I mentioned it because that's an important subtext of the stories. You know, and that's that's really, I think what's interesting is you bring in the tooth fairy. And I know, Nancy, there's something going on with her. Somebody took over her computer today. She's been hijacked technically, but she really wanted to be on the show with you because she loves the book. And she said, when I was a kid, she wished she had it. I know there's an environmental reason we want to talk about. Um, especially all the storms that California went through and, and the Southwest. Um, some of it's good and some of it's scary, but um, she was talking about it's a really cute book that would make you not as scared to go to the dentist. And, and it, like I said, it adds a little magic. And with your medical background, I mean, I, I think we should do everything we can to get kids excited and not too scared about going to the dentist. I was scared. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. Absolutely. I might add that um, the whole writing children's books thing was sort of a, has been a fun and totally unexpected adventure. You know, I'm, I'm a physician by training, uh, a liver specialist, if you will. Wow. And in my academic past was professor of medicine and chief of gastroenterology at University of California, San Francisco. I was involved in studying the liver transplant program and was president Amazing. of the American Society for Clinical Investigation. Then went to industry where I've been involved in developing vaccines and therapeutics. So it's not an obvious jump from that to, to writing children's books. Exactly. But, you know, I, I'm, I guess, an academic and um, teacher at heart, and I have a knack for telling stories and writing silly rhymes. So was, having grandkids of our own was just the, just the catalyst to move from bedtime stories to actual books. Mm. And, but definitely that um, mission to educate is such a big deal. And education does take away fear. And going back to the dentist part of it, and even climate change, you know, I think about all the, the youth now today, 
they must be feeling some kind of fear about what their future is. And yet education and action, you know, informed action can really help, you know, fight against fear. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. And the reason for launching the book on Earth Day actually reflects sort of the pre-launch reviews we've received. Uh, they, they've covered quite a bit of territory. One very common theme is people love the illustrations. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, I'd like to do a, a, a shout out to Matilda Malot. She's a French freelance illustrator who lives in Brittany. And it's really her creativity, richness, and imagination that's created mm. a little magic in those pictures. Other reviewers have commented on the rhymes. And it's a book that sort of demands to be, to be read aloud, if you will. Mm-hmm. Other reviewers have picked up on the theme of perseverance. You know, Tiny Tina is kind of written off as a loser by the older fairies. She's too small. She doesn't sparkle enough. But little Tina toughs it out and she perseveres and solves a big problem for the fairies. But of mm-hmm. course, other people pick up on the, the theme of sustainability. You know, as you mentioned at the beginning, the sort of geopolitical events, the extreme weather, the the war in Ukraine, it really made that a front mm. burner topic. But it's not a real easy concept to explain to kids. Even, even adults, we adults grapple with it a bit. I mean, if you define sustainability as meeting our needs in a way that doesn't compromise the future for our kids or grandkids or their kids, that takes a while to assimilate that. And, mm. and the book isn't meant to be preachy, but introduce it in a way that's hopefully going to trigger some curiosity, some questions, and some fruitful dialogue with with their parents. I love that, too, um, because I know that we've got Kindles and all those, you know, geeky things that we have to have technology, but I think story time with families um, getting together and reading reading with the children and getting them interested even in, in uh, rhyme, because that's a really fun and it's it's mnemonics. It's a very easier way for kids to to really ingest information, but also kind of opens the door to learning about poetry and the arts. With this, I think they're going to really understand that because it's, there's different kinds of rhymes and different um, tempo, if you will. Even though she's floating around and she's so cute, um, I think that's one of the biggest things is to get families together, reading together. And it's a book that they can go back on and learn bit by bit, you know, um, grow with, I think. And you're talking about the tooth fairy. I mean, who's written about the tooth fairy lately? You know, <laughs> it's cute. It's a it's a cute story of like just showing where the tooth fairy came from. It, it is a new spin on the tooth fairy. I mean, why is it that the fairies wet our teeth in the first place? <laughs> Therein is the theme of sustainability. But there's also an interesting backstory, Lisa, about the rhyme. I mean, for me personally, I think books that are written in rhyme uh, are more fun to read. Um, They lend themselves to reading aloud, but they're also a little tougher to write. For the last 35 plus years, when we send out our holiday cards, Christmas cards, we've included not only family pictures, but a poem. A poem that I write where I describe sort of in verse what's happened to our family over the last year, what's happened in the world. And, you know, I was never really sure if anybody ever read them. (laughs) (laughs) Then about 20 years ago, I was short on time and short on inspiration. And and the mailing didn't include a poem. 
and the backlash was immediate. Hey, hey, where's our poem? What's going on? So we've resumed it. So it was it was not a huge jump from sort of writing funny annual family poems to actually writing a book in rhyme. Mm. I think it's great, though. I mean, and then you even think, you know, for kids to start writing for themselves. It's one of those. I, I just think it's it's really creative. And people may think that writing a children's book is easy, but it's really not. And kids will tell you the truth. I mean, so uh, tell us about kids that have read the book, because I mean, for us, we're still kids at heart. But um, tell us a little bit about some of the uh, I mean, have your grandkids read it? Did did they tell you how they what they think? And did they help you? Oh, yeah. Our grandkids, first of all, they live close. Our daughter lived just a few blocks away. So we see their her kids all the time. And our son is just over the bridge. And you know, family and a particular grandkids have played a key role at each step in the process. So the first step for me is, is sort of conceptualize what, what is the topic going to be? What topic has enough uh, angles to make it interesting to read, interesting for, for children to hear? And they're, they're the grandkids are really the inspiration. Seeing the world through their eyes and things they experience is really the, the beginning of it. So our older grandchildren were getting to the age where they were starting to lose their baby teeth, five, six, and seven. They were introduced to the tooth fairy. So the book built upon that sort of natural curiosity. Mm. The, the second phase is actually the writing. The writing, for at least for me, goes pretty quick. It's usually a week or two. And the goal is not to, is not perfection. It's to get something down, step back and take a hard look and see if it really has enough merit to turn into a book. And there, my family and grandkids are unfailingly, unflinchingly honest beta readers. They tell me exactly what they think, what they like and what they don't like. And that sort of is helpful in deciding whether to take it to the, the next step, mm. which is actually creating the book, getting mm. the illustrator involved, doing the character sketches, creating the illustrations. And again, you know, their feedback is, is invaluable. I might That's add that our son, who's also a Doc en route was a English major at Princeton. So I need okay. to give him a little shout out because when I am struggling with a phrase, trying to smooth it out, he is my go-to guy to, for that last final polishing of the text. But it's really fun from beginning to start. And every step, the grandkids are very much involved. So when it's finally done and the book is out, it's sort of a shared experience. You know, it's exciting too. Um, going back to the sustainability part of it, because you talk about <clears throat> you've got your tooth fairy that goes out there, and, and she's saving the other fairies with teeth, and and you know, with all the kids' teeth. So now the kids are going, "Oh, cool! I'm doing something cool with my teeth." You know, when we're losing our teeth as kids, and so it's not so fearful. Um, and then, oh, there's money in there. Um, but she shows teamwork. And, and that persistence that you were talking about, but teamwork of getting everyone together. And when we think about sustainability and climate change, uh, global warming, however, we're all supposed to say it, it is gonna take team, it is gonna a teamwork persistence, but also not just throwing things away. And I think that was a really big part of it is teaching that just because you lose something doesn't mean you just throw, you know, if you may lose a tooth or, you know, it's, you've, you've, you know, finish drinking out of a glass bottle, you don't just throw it away, right. you know? Yeah, and precisely, these are concepts which um, grow over time. The notion here is to introduce kids early. 
Um, you know, you commented earlier on sort of my background. I, I'm a pretty strong believer that science shouldn't be taught like history, like a collection of facts or formulas to be memorized. Rather, it should be taught in a way that engenders a sense of wonder, curiosity in the world around us, the interest to, to ask questions and, and seek answers. That, that really is what science is. When I was president of the American Society for Clinical Investigation, I mentioned I was involved in starting a summer scholarship program for high school science teachers. And the oh, idea cool. was to provide them a stipend so they could actually work in the laboratory of one of our members, uh, get exposed to and comfortable with hands-on science in a way they could actually bring it back to the classroom and mm -hmm. generate some of that excitement in kids. But, but to your point, high school is even a little late because many kids get turned off early or turned on early. Uh, our daughter is also a, a physician. She actually is a physician scientist. She's a dermatologist wow. like my wife, her mom. And she's also on the research faculty at University of California. San See, Francisco. it's a whole smart family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are too, yeah, too many docs in the family. But I, I bring it up. Lisa, because I'm convinced that she was turned on to science when she was probably in the second or third grade. Mm. And it was a question she asked. So it was the late 80s. She might have been 10 or maybe not quite. We had a series of winter freezes in California that were jeopardizing the citrus mm. industry. And she asked a question at dinner. She said, gee, mom and dad, how long can orange trees live in the freeze? And we said, you know, that, that is a really good question. I don't know the answer, but let's see if we can figure it out. So she had a science project coming up. Let's, let's make a science project out of it. So we, of course, didn't put orange trees in the freezer. We bought little begonia plants. We put them in the freezer, and we thought, well, a begonia plant can probably last at least 15 minutes. So we'll put them all in the freezer. We'll take them out starting at 15 minutes out to about three hours and see how it goes. Well, it turns out we guessed completely wrong. We took out the first begonia at 15 minutes, expecting nothing to happen, and nothing did happen for about 30 seconds. But then that begonia fell over dead. And it was, set, it was so hilarious and so unexpected that we all sort of broke down in laughter. And our daughter thought, gee, this, this is really fun. And, and I'm convinced it was that early excitement, the interesting, in fact, an experiment that went wrong in a very funny way that really turned her on and probably had a big impact on the rest of her life. Mm, I, I agree with you about that with science is getting kids to do things like, you know, all the experiments, the fun, they're fun. You know, when you it's like fun. putting baking soda and vinegar together and, and water and watching the little volcanoes and, you know, it is fun. And I don't care how old or how young you are to me, we should all be doing that. But I actually want to go back to your point on history because I think, um, We've been doing it wrong with history as well. Um, I think, you know, this whole thing of learn these facts, this happened, these timelines mean nothing. If you don't um, have, I, we, one of our um, experts, Mike Guardia, he's a, a history teacher and he's a, a military historian and military history author of 22, 23 books. And so whenever he's on a show, I'm always Okay, I'm going to see if I can stump him. I've not stumped him yet. Um, but he said, you know, he teaches when he taught the younger kids, he would have them enact a play. And so that they could understand battle strategy, they could understand the severity of it. Like if someone gets killed, what is that like in a battle? How does that feel? 
and kids remember i it took me a long time to really grasp history other than reading novels until i started going to historic sites and now i'm i'm all into it you know it's it's you, i'm all into history same thing on science because of being out in nature and playing with bugs and what is that bug going to do you know and how is it you know and and watching nature has um you know, because animals have this resilience and they have ways of uh, solving problems and healing themselves and, and healing together if something happens. Look at a lizard protecting itself, dropping a tail, and then next thing you know, it grows it back, but he saved, he saved his behind over it in, in a way, you know? <laughs> so watching, so I think that's the thing about books is getting that sparking that imagination in fairy dust is like that's exciting and you put a boy in there and not just a boy a black boy which i think is also i wanted to touch on we don't have enough books that are diverse you know in race uh for kids i i believe well that was a deliberate strategy i mean if you look at the fairies in the book they come in all shapes and sizes and, and colors. And that's the way the world is. I mean, we humans come in a dazzling variety of shapes and sizes. And that's really what makes life so interesting, if you will. And I think your, your earlier comments, Lisa, are right on the money. I mean, passive learning, where we absorb facts, that doesn't really stick with us very long. Mm -hmm. Over time, the facts go away. But sort of active participation in thinking, that, that sticks with us. So for example, play acting history is a way to really assimilate and put yourself in a situation where you understand the context and not just the facts. In the case of science, uh, it's very much the same, but it takes courage. Mm -hmm. It takes courage to have an experiment in the classroom if you really don't have the background uh, and are concerned that the experiment might go wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and by nature, many elementary school teachers are generalists, they have to be. So they're a little fearful of trying something which might go wrong or they might not know how to do. And the whole idea was to give them enough courage to actually try something. And mm -hmm. most experiments actually don't work. Any scientist will tell you that. But they're, that, they're not supposed the to. That's part of getting to the, 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 the way things work is having to, you know, the process of elimination is, is that that's a part of science. And the other huge thing I like about your book and, and Nancy too, is that you are covering science. You know, science is, is I think um, we need to have a look at how important science is, I, especially during the pandemic, you understand, uh, especially um, in regards to making vaccines and, and being part of that world. Science had a bad run over the last few years. And I don't think even with climate change, part of the problem is a bunch of people not understanding science. They just go, oh, you know, they have an opinion, but I don't think a lot of people actually understand that science means things are always changing, right? It's just like the virus, the pandemic, COVID-19, that virus keeps changing and morphing. And I think we have to, as a society around the world, a global society, understand that science is always changing. Again, right on the money. I mean, in the context of the book, Tina, the first tooth fairy, the Sustainability is intentionally subtle. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not deliberately not preachy, but just evident enough to try and stimulate children's curiosity, begin to ask questions and promote a dialogue. 
Your comment is also right on the money regarding the pandemic. I think many people who really don't sort of understand the scientific process sort of assumed at the beginning, well, the experts have this all figured out. They're gonna tell us exactly what's happened. As we learned, there were some right turns and left turns that weren't fully predicted. Some of the hypotheses panned out, some didn't. Uh, I mean, I think it perhaps wasn't evident to everybody when this virus first jumped to humans, it wouldn't be ideally adapted. And then it continued to mutate to more ideally adapt itself to the human host. But you're right, that's the way science works. And we watched it in action on a, on a global scale. So I think an appreciation of understanding, you know, of how science works, that we do our best to answer questions, we form hypotheses, but they're not always right. Then we readjust that. That's really the core of it. And it's also the fun of it if you grow mm. up with it. Yeah, I think it is always interesting. And even now when we look at, you know, going back to wildlife and and you know, biology and, and that side of science, you know, you look how what you know birds did 20, 30 years ago will change now because of the encroachment of human beings into their habitat. So they're changing. And so again, that science has to change. You can't go, that's how this bird has always behaved and always will. They're having to change. Human beings have changed. I mean, look at our, our bodies have definitely changed. We've gotten bigger. I'm not, not saying that that's good for us because we've got a doctor on the show, but we have. <laughs> I mean, if everyone goes to museums, you'll see, look at the clothing, look what women wore. I mean, come on, as human beings, we've changed as well. So it... All of these changes that may seem very subtle over the years, if, if you go to history, natural history, or and you see, and I mean, look at medical utensils. Oh my gosh, that that that's enough to freak everybody out when you see what was used. But we have changed, and that's something to think about. We it is always constant change. That's the only guarantee I think we have. You know, we humans grew up as hunter-gatherers. For most of mm -hmm. our million-year history, we were moving from place to place, hoping to make that next big kill, get that next buffalo or bear or whatever it was. It was really just in the last, let's say, 40 to 50,000 years, we were able to settle. It came with raising crops, and humans had a sustainable source of food, but our bodies were still adapted to the feast and famine approach not to continue as eating, which among other things has sort of led to the current epidemic of, of obesity that you were alluding to. Um, I, I might add that sort of building on this, this theme of natural curiosity, so Tina the First Tooth Fairy does it. One of the books that I've just written and will be produced um, later this year, builds on children being told to, to eat their vegetables. What, what kids oh, like yeah. to eat? eat vegetables. Two of our grandsons are superhero fanatics. They just love superheroes. And I think the younger of the two may have the world's record for the number of consecutive days he's dressed up as Spider-Man. So, <laughs> so the thrust of the story is, yes, we have these make-believe superheroes, but there are really superheroes in the food we eat, the vitamins, the minerals that can do spectacular things and make our bodies what we are. They show up at every meal, they show up every day, and it's introduced from some of the real marvels in life, not just the Marvel, Marvel comic book characters. So I, I do oh. like that theme. It, it's got legs. That's awesome. That I mean, it's, it, I, and you can make characters. I mean, I can already see the illustrations. Gonna, that's going to be fun. <laughs> that's going to be fun to make, yes. you know, 
vegetables, all different characters with faces. And yeah, I think that's cool. That's going to be fun. Well, you've got to keep us posted. We're very excited about what you're doing for our youth. And um, I know you're educating parents along the way because isn't kids teach us things all the time, don't they? So <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> they do. They do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, everyone, again. Tina, the first Tooth Fairy is out on Earth Day, April 22nd, 2023. And you're probably listening to this on Earth Day. Who knows? Uh, everything goes as it goes. Uh, keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com. But of course, go get the book. And again, it is Dr. Bruce F. Scharschmitz. And you can go to his website, BruceScharschmitz.com. That's S-C-H-A-R. And then Schmidt, S-C-H-M-I-D-T.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Lisa, thank you for having me, and thanks to your readers for listening in, and please read your children and talk to them. Absolutely.